Welcome to Facts Matter, the podcast discussing Michigan public policy through a research lens. Facts Matter is brought to you by the Citizens Research Council of Michigan, a 104-year-old independent nonprofit research organization that provides unbiased information on the significant issues concerning state and local government organization and finance. Our research can be found at crcmich.org. Now, let's dive into the facts that matter. Welcome back to another edition of Facts Banner. My name is Joe Steele, and today we're speaking with Craig Thiel, Research Director at the Research Council, and Jill Roof, Research Associate at the Research Council. Thank you so much for taking time today. Thank you. So today we're going to get into the elections process in Michigan, not specifically the recent election that we were, were still kind of working our way through, but the process and specifically the pure number of positions Michiganders are asked to vote for and therefore the length of the ballot and some ideas that uh, you guys had at the Research Council recently. So Jill, uh, you recently wrote a blog that's available on the crcmich.org website about the just the overall length of the ballot and how many positions our voters here in this state are, are being asked to to select. So can you talk a little bit about the length of the ballot? How long is it? And is it uh, is it really longer than other states or are we are we off the charts somewhere? Yes, I'd be happy to. Um, Michigan does have a long ballot. This is something at the Research Council we've been writing and talking about since at least the 1980s. Um, the, the long ballot makes voting unnecessarily difficult for voters and tedious. Um, so I was looking at a news article that found in 2010, um, the average state elector voted on um, 17 elections for office and five ballot questions. This past election in Michigan, I looked closely at two counties and voters voted on well more than 17 um, elections for office. Um, in Ottawa County, uh, I looked at the number of uh, votes for county and statewide races um, and counted, I think, 24. And while that includes judges, that does not include any local races, any um, school races. People voted for mm. their local school board, the community college district, an mm. intermediate school district, as well as multiple local races. Um, that doesn't include ballot proposals at the state or local level. Um, so um, Michigan's not alone. Other states do have long ballots as well, especially those that vote on a lot of statewide and judicial officials. But Michigan definitely has a long ballot. Do you know if that has to do with it being a presidential year? You mentioned looking at those two counties this particular year. It was, a, you know, obviously a presidential year. A lot of, you know, Congress was up and the state house, uh, some of the, the so we had a Senate seat that was up. Do you know if that has to do with that or if it is uh, just you know, on average the similar length? Um, I, you know, we might have had a, a few more races. Obviously, we voted for the president, but other races and we'll vote for a governor or other statewide officials that we did not vote for this year. Um, so I don't know that necessarily we had more than your average general election. Okay. And one of the consequences, as you noted, was the drop off of the number of votes as people go down the ballot. You know, president received the most and the further you go down, there was a percentage drop off. Um, is that because of the, the, the length or is it because people just being unaware of, you know, who do I vote for in this judicial race because I just don't know who these folks are? Mm -hmm. um, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, definitely some people may just find it tedious and stop, stop reading down the ballot. Um, also, you know, it is hard 
to choose a candidate when you don't know anything about them other than reading their name. Um, you do have races too that only have one option, so you get some drop off from that. Um, for instance, I looked at Ottawa and Oakland County. In Ottawa, a lot of the countywide races, the only option was a Republican, um, right. and there was greater drop off than in Oakland where you had two options. Seeing that in some judicial races as well, I think, you know, mm -hmm. vote for not more than 12, and there's 12 candidates listed. So do I need to sit there and fill out each of those? each of those ovals uh, or, you know, does it, that, does it make a difference? <laughs> you know? That is true. But there's also a lot of drop off for like the Michigan Supreme court and there are multiple options in those races. Right. Right. And, and there was something you noted, I think in some research that was published recently about the percentage of people who just admitted to guessing really, mm -hmm. or, or using other determinants like their name or um, you know, their, their sex or their race, whatever it happens to be. Yeah, there was a poll in um, of early voters, and I think 60% couldn't remember who they selected for U.S. Supreme or not U.S. Michigan Supreme Court justices. But um, so uh, so we know that there's there's a drop off, and some of that has to do with with the length of the ballot. Some of that has to do with the voters being being unaware of 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 who these who these uh, who these folks are. Do we? need to make any any uh, adjustments or should should some of these people be appointed i know there was uh, some discussion of some other states who have more judges that are that are appointed but i think some voters might be concerned about well the appointee how do, how am i going to trust that person if they're just a political supporter or a friend of whoever's doing the appointing governors or, or whoever that might be um yeah I you know, there's there's benefits of electing and appointing, and I don't know that there's necessarily an easy answer for the best way to choose a judge or, or something like that. Um, but the idea of electing a lot of officials to short, directly to short terms, is lodged in this idea of Jacksonian democracy, and it keeps mm -hmm. it closer to the people. Mm -hmm. But um, it also asks a lot of people to be informed voters, expects voters to make a concerted effort to learn about candidates for office. Um, and to actively monitor the decisions and actions of those in office. Um, it's not an easy thing to do. Uh, it doesn't mean it's impossible. And that's why in our blog, we tried to highlight nonprofit, nonpartisan organizations like ours that provide information on statewide ballot proposals or candidates for office. Um, because if you're gonna elect a lot of officials, you're asking voters to be informed about a lot of different people in offices. Right, and it's becoming even more challenging. And I was going to ask you about that because in this era of fake news and who do we trust, who do we believe, uh, whether it's media or some other organization who's really you know putting the money behind this organization, you pointed to a couple that folks uh, could and should uh, take a look at uh, before uh, before each election. The the research council being one when it comes to mm -hmm. ballot proposals and other things, and and you mentioned some others as it relates to to candidates or frankly, um, if there's an organization that aligns with someone's already existing beliefs, that they could take a look at what, what, what those organizations uh, are advocating for. Yes, yes, there's, there's information out there um, and good information. It just takes effort to find it sometimes. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully people find it uh, within themselves uh, next election time to take the effort and, and hopefully they'll tune into to more of what the Research Council has to has to offer. So uh, I want to turn to Craig now, uh, if we could, and talk a little bit about a suggestion that was made 
in one of the posts, which is um, taking a look at the State Board of Education. And this is a, uh, a, a board that exists in the state, it exists in the constitution, but we turn out and uh, we elect two of those seats every two years. Um, so Craig, can you tell us a little bit more about that board, uh, the frequency with which we elect them? Uh, is that unique to Michigan? And, and frankly, is that frequency too much? Yeah, so let me just frame up uh, my thoughts on this a little bit. Jill had talked about the challenges of, of the long ballot and um, the kind of the, the follow-on to that discussion is what to do about it. Right. And so Jill mentioned in her blog, you know, we, we do uh, elections to fill positions on the State Board of Education as well as three of our, our universities. And... Uh, when we've looked at kind of the experiment of electing uh, State Board of Ed members, uh, we have found that really the, the, the board goes back some time, I should say. It, it goes back to the Constitution of Michigan from 1850, and then it was yeah. continued forward in 1908, and then the 1963. So we've got a long history of having an elected board. Um, the powers it's been given have... Um, uh, have changed with with each uh, iteration of the Constitution, and you know the current Constitution had a setup where uh, the state board was supposed to play a, a planning role, a much larger role in the policy setting uh, environment in Michigan. And what we found in in kind of examining things over the last forty plus years is that it really hasn't lived up to its potential. Um, uh, in, in terms of its original, uh, the aspirations of, of uh, its original design. And there's been some other changes, but so that's kind of how we came at looking at the State Board of Ed yeah, sure. as, as a potential reform that might, in our opinion, kill two birds with one stone. One, deal with maybe improving the, the functioning of the board uh, in, in the larger public education governance structure, and then also the, the issue that Jill raised in her blog, which was the, the, the long ballot. I, we wouldn't propose eliminating the popular election of State Board of Ed members for the single purpose of just shortening the ballot for people. That, well, okay. But yeah. we, we've found that you know, there's some evidence that it just really hasn't worked out the way it was supposed to work out. Um, you know, we are one of just a handful of states that has the popular election of state board of ed members. Mm -hmm. um, for those states that have it, uh, have a, a, elect, uh, a state board, only six uh, elect members. Uh, we're mm -hmm. the only one that nominates members via the party convention uh, method, similar to what Jill mentioned in, um, as it relates to um, uh, Supreme Court justices in Michigan. Um, so we are unique in terms of both electing, um, popular electing uh, members, as well as how they get their names on the ballot. You bring up an interesting um, twist there, which is they're nominated uh, along with the Supreme Court justices at, at party conventions. And you said we're one of the only ones that, that, that has a state board that's elected that does it that way in a partisan way? Uh, well, that does that uh, where the nominations come via a political party convention as opposed right. to 
Um, you can still have partisan elections, but then have a primary to determine who's the general election candidate. I see. Yeah, um, okay. we, we, we basically allow the, the major parties to nominate uh, candidates that will automatically appear on the ballot. Um, and, you know, we've, we've identified problems with that process in that, you know, most of those people are identified uh, because one, they have high name recognition, they're active in partisan politics, not necessarily education policy. Mm -hmm. um, they may have uh, independent wealth that allows them to run for office. Mm -hmm. um, not necessarily uh, criteria that you would say are necessary to be, uh, you know, at the top of the organizational structure for ed education policy. Right. And then the, uh, the other, uh, the other challenge being that if you go to a primary route versus a, uh, convention route, then you're asking what we just talked about. You're asking voters to be even more informed when it comes to a primary, uh, competition, uh, instead of a, a party convention, uh, competition. Both are very different, uh, very different animals, but one is a, uh, one is a select group of, uh, of, uh, you know, party members that are selecting somebody or a group of people at a convention versus the general public, uh, electing somebody in a primary competition. Um, I think that could add even more, uh, concern to what Joe was talking about previously, which was, we want our electors, uh, or, you know, the electorate to be more informed and in tune with what these candidates, uh, believe. Um, so, uh, Craig, uh, we mentioned, uh, you, you mentioned this, but I want to go over this. Uh, you said that they, uh, the intent of the, of the board, um, the state board does not play, is, can, can we, can, does not play the role that maybe the, the, uh, the, the framers had in mind. Is there a way to get back there or is that just, is there a way to, 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 to change policy or ch change the direction in which they're operating so they get back to what the framers intended? Well, I think there are some design flaws in, in what we've, got in the Constitution because, um, you know, public education is a very hot topic currently, but right. it is uh, a, a hot topic a lot of times through our history. Um, this board was supposed to be more deliberative in terms of its thinking and its actions. It was put in place to be kind of an advisor to the legislature on some issues. Mm -hmm. um, and what we've seen is for better or for worse, um, the policy setting um, uh, responsibility for public education in Michigan has been just practically taken out of the hands of the state board and put in, in the hands of the governor or of the, of the state legislature, more or less because those individuals uh, have, you know, as, you know, the legislature, the power of the purse, um, the executive branch has the power of the, you know, uh, Department of Education and having that body under its control. The State Board of Ed, on the other hand, is really just an advisory board, and um, the the legislature has been um, hesitant to cede any of its power. And similarly, the executive has been some, uh, you know, hesitant to to cede any of its power. So, mm -hmm. I think if the framers were around today and having the experience of the last forty years, they probably would say, "Yeah, well, we." made a good go of it. It didn't work. And, you know, let's try something different. Right. And, and to, to try something different, ultimately, I think you'd have to go in and, and modify the, the provisions in the Constitution. Um, 
to, to do that. Well, that is a that is a separate conversation. I think uh, today we we have the the length of the ballot and and the numbers of people that we are electing. So, what is the is there a you know overall silver bullet here? Um, is there a, other than just encouraging people and trying to figure out ways for people through organizations like the Research Council and others to be more informed and more aware of what is going on and and who they are actually electing to these to these um, to these these positions that actually have some, you know, they have some important role in our, in our states. Open that up to either of you. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't have anything really new other than um, look for the organizations like the research council that are providing nonpartisan information. Mm -hmm. um, and just remember that, you know, local politics isn't, necessarily flashy, but it's important. Um, so, you know, it, it's not just important to vote for president or governor. It's also important to vote for these lower offices that may have a more direct impact on your life. Yeah, no question. Or your town or your city yeah. or... Those local local seats impact your your day-to-day. -day. Craig, anything uh, silver bullet-wise to uh, to try to, you know, encourage people to, to uh, you know, I guess pay more attention or vote further down the ballot? Yeah, I don't have a silver bullet myself. Um, you know, it's, a million, would, it's a million dollar question. Right. But I, I, I would suggest that, um, you know, a lot has happened because of the pandemic in terms of the provision of K-12 education in the state, um, in education, public education at the, you know, uh, university level. And my guess is there's going to be policy discussions, uh, you know, once things settle um, about, you know, how the service should be delivered, funding should, funding system should change. And I just think part of that discussion should also be the governance of education in Michigan. Um, starting at the state board level, there has been multiple calls for reforming the board over the years, um, both in terms of uh, getting rid of the board, uh, but also changing how it's, how it's, um, members are selected. I think all of those are good debates to have and probably uh, in the shadow, hopefully in the shadow of this election and the pandemic, those will be discussions that, that take place uh, in Michigan. Well, you mentioned there's likely to be some education policy discussion coming up in the next, uh, in the next legislature. I'd imagine there'd be some election uh, policy discussion coming up in the next legislature as well, given all of the talk after this most recent, um, most recent election. Well, thank you very much for taking some time to share your insights with us today. Uh, hopefully that uh, this encourages folks to, to stay informed and to come back for the next election. So thank you very much, uh, Craig and, and Jill. Thank you. All right, we'll talk to you next time. Along with this podcast, the Citizens Research Council of Michigan produces blogs, research papers, op-eds, and other resources to better inform Michigan citizens and policymakers. As an independent nonprofit, our work is funded by Michigan corporations, foundations, and individuals like yourself. If you like what you've heard, please consider making a donation by visiting crcmich.org and clicking on Get Involved. Thank you for your support.